1: Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What up, fuckers?
0: So I got a question for you. In a partnership, how do you say, I don't feel like I love you anymore? I mean, I might know that I love you, that I would be devastated to lose you. You're a huge part of my daily life and I can't imagine it without you. Or I might know that I once loved you and I assume the feeling is still there somewhere, even though I can't actually access it right now. But do I... Feel like I love you right now in this moment and the vast majority of them. Does my heart swell when you're around? Does it seem like we really see each other and connect fully? Does being in your presence melt away the stresses of the day? Am I the best version of me in this relationship? Eh, (laughs) sometimes. But it's definitely not what it used to be like, in-depth, intensity, or consistency. In fact, half of the time, I don't feel love in our relationship at all. I just feel fear, compression, repression, insecurity, and resentment. For me, the thing that was once so connective, refreshing, rejuvenating, validating, and addictingly stabilizing – Well, it tends to become the exact opposite in my relationships, time and time and time again. How about you? And also, what's up with that? Well, this month we're still talking about relationship issues over in the Living Book on Recovering from CPTSD community, including... How and why our trauma histories cyclically pop up together, revealing deep wounds and self-judgments we never knew that we had, and ways to foster better communication for conflict resolution down to subconscious wound healing, and the purpose of having them at all so we can heal all parts of ourselves, like not only the ones that we preferentially keep near the surface for others. So, it's been a dense month over in the private stream. Three research episodes are crammed together with things that have changed my perspective on relationships and confidence in someday being able to navigate them differently. And we're starting with a long episode on a topic that maybe baffles all of us. Why does love fade? Why do protective programs take over? Why do we become hardened to each other as time goes on? And why does resentment, withdrawal, and mutual self-defense become our standard relational go-to? Well, let's open the conversation and talk through a pretty shockingly simple explanation. Even better yet, it's a bit of a full circle discussion pulling in our past several months of learning to clarify one of life's greatest shit stories, the loss of love, uprising of protective strategies, and growth of resentment in relationship. So let's talk through it in the brief version. For all the details, you know where to go. Check the show notes. But first things first. You remember our ongoing small-s self versus big-s self conversation? And if you also think it sounds like I'm saying big-ass self, I know, I cackle at it every single time too. But the small-s self is our egoic representation of ourselves, which is a more externalized view on who we think we are and need to be. It's cognitive, it's learned from our social experiences, and it is roughly not really about us at all on an authentic level. It's the template designed by our interactions with every other person on the planet. The cognitive approximation of what is correct for us based on prior opportunities for punishment and reinforcement in our social interactions. Now, the big S self is the opposite. It's an energetic, emotional sort of thing that lives in your body, in your guts, and in your chest. It is not developed through your folks reinforcing or punishing it, the way that your egoic, small s self is. In fact, the big s self has always been there in its full form, and it remains unscathed by life and by trauma. It's the source of all the good Cs in life, according to Internal Family Systems Therapy, being compassion, curiosity, clarity, calm, compassion – creativity, connection, confidence, and courage. I think I just threw an extra compassion in there, but um, you do see how important these characteristics are in relationships and in life, right? Especially, I would say, compassion. The problem is it's really difficult to maintain access to this big S self thing and all of the resources that it gives us because we disassociate from it when we're under duress. So you might already see where this is going. When we fall in love or into deep connection, please note that when I do say anything about connection or relationship around here, I mean any variety of associative partnership, not just romantic ones. But when we fall in love or deep connection, we do it through the big S self. It's our source of that unconditional love nonsense. It's how we genuinely bond with one another. It's that experience of seeing someone's soul and feeling that they see yours too. Being seen as the capital S self. It's the sensation of being fully accepted and appreciated that fills your body with good feelings, for fucking once, and sets your brain on a less negatively slanted thought train. So seeing life through rosy colored glasses and actually feeling fully alive in your own skin, that's the big S self. Being drawn up from the darkness of the tomb that you usually keep it in for safekeeping, And that's love. Operating from the full authentic self and connecting with someone else's full authentic self. Unencumbered by nasty brain programs that are usually dominating every moment. Being allowed to let down your guard, open your heart. Sorry, I fucking hate those words also. And to just be you safely without fear of punishment or retribution. You know, the things that we never got early in life. So, our long lost big S selves allow us to meet needs that we have never had fulfilled before, right? We suddenly understand why it's supposedly so rad to be a human, a mystery that we have never understood. We see life in a whole new way, all the way down to how we assess ourselves with a small s, and we feel awake, alive. The problem is, it doesn't stay that way, all right? Over time, we can't sustain this fleeting state of being in our big-S self-energy, especially when we have trauma histories. We learned long, long ago that it's not okay to just be us on either level of self, small or big-S. So we learned to disconnect from the capital-S self, to push it out of our bodies for protection because the pain of life has been too great for our sensitive soul-y things to experience. Add on to that the fact that we have had that are programmed, um, let's say, in extreme ways. We have trauma reactions, protective instincts, segmented memory systems, fragmented personalities, disassociative tendencies, hypervigilant systems. So that early big s self to big s self connection with another person, it gets bowled over. Eventually, life is going to start pinging those trauma-reactive programs in your brain that are not conducive to the big s self. Your head is going to automatically respond to those signals, sending rapid-fire activations through your neural networks and lighting up the fractionalized portions of your brain that correspond to your survival behaviors, your past experiences, and your present emotional floodings. And there goes the pleased-about-existing energy that you fleetingly enjoyed. In other words, we live in a traumatizing world that is guaranteed to start triggering your same old, same old shitty trauma brain eventually, lighting up your parts, go back to the parts and IFS episodes if you really don't know what I'm saying, and shutting down your capacity for reaching your big S self that's somewhere underneath all of them. So as that happens, you stop being the full, authentic you. You stop feeling all your feelings, being present and curious about your experiences, or having the same openness, compassion, and confidence. And instead, you start being a conglomerate of your trauma responses. How have you learned to survive so far? What are you always on the lookout for? What signals represent danger to you? What roles do you have to fill in order to be accepted? How do you need to respond to life to keep breathing? And what other forces threaten all of those efforts? Your head eventually springs into action, contemplating all of these questions subconsciously, Your protective parts take over, and your initial connection through the big S self struggles to be maintained. This is the stage of revealing your less favorable parts the many small S selves that actually live inside of you your protectors, exiles, and distractors, your survival programs, your fragmented personality biddles. And at the same time, your partner is going to be going through the same goddamn thing. This isn't a one-sided issue, and it doesn't necessarily start or stop with you. It's going to be a mutual problem that can originate from either party. And here's why it sucks both of us in. If one person's parts are getting lit, so are the other person's. Our brains respond accordingly to other brains, automatically, without our conscious input. And we have parts that were developed by people who demanded that we jump before they even had to utter the words. So when one person slips into parts, which may be um, sort of demanding or extreme cognitive programs, so will the other. Both relational partners lose their access to the big S self as they slip into the small S multiplicitous selves that live inside of us, often formed in childhood. And here's the extra damning news, y'all. Their parts activate each other in a highly destructive, corresponding fashion when we're talking about close, intimate partners. So. If they show up in a self-defensive, aggressive, rigid program, which might be a protector part, you will have two options with how to respond from your own parts. First of all, you can wither from their behaviors. You can become the corresponding, weak, easy to please, and overly flexible version of you, which is likely an exile part. Or... Number two, you can stand up to their behaviors. You can front with your own protector part to keep yourself safe without selling yourself out. And thirdly, I suppose you could also flip into a distractor part, create chaos or disassociate completely to avoid actually dealing with the aggressive affront coming at you. But the point is, no matter which way you go, the result is the same. Your partner fell into a part and you reactively, protectively, automatically do the same. Now, both partners have been reduced from their full, soulful, connective, capital S self thing down into probably their preferred egoic version of small s self when life provoked that flex to take place. But then it doesn't stop there because over time, they'll probably slip all the way into not their favorite, preferred, conscious, small s self parts. Because we eventually take on the learned, fueled by fright segments of our personalities that were developed to deal with our families of origin in extreme circumstances and the rest of those negative experiences we've ever had. At that point, both of us are showing up as these small, reactive, frightened parts of our brains. And that energetic, soulful connection, nowhere to be found. Love, authentic connection, soulful bonding, they all go out the window. We don't have access to the best of us or the resources that are necessary for healthy relationships being all those previously listed C words. We don't even have our full scope of emotions and somatic sensations available to us. So what, we're really going to feel these strings being pulled from this love connection? Probably not. We can't connect fully. We can't find full acceptance because we're repressing pieces of ourselves. We can't be present in the moment or stay unmarred by bad relational memories that are flooding our brains. And so we mutually shut down. Perhaps one partner before the other, maybe both all at once. The connection might end abruptly in an explosion, or it could just gradually fade as these parts take over little by little. Both people might attempt to rekindle the relationship, but staying in that big s self-energy is exceedingly difficult in general, and also especially when the difficulty level is raised to an exponential degree because we're encountering someone else who's not in their self-place, and because the context of it is what's most dangerous to us. Our history of relational trauma is not going to allow us to be chill and reconnect with our soul very easily. Our brain is going to be busy like a buzzing little beehive. So remember that this is even more difficult if both partners have those relational trauma histories. Each time anyone shows up with their parts the other system will do the same. So everyone becomes shut down, highly reactive, or disassociative again, even if both parties are trying to pull themselves out of it. With no one capable of staying in their big-ass self, the relationship stops feeling fulfilling. It stops being connective. And this is where the resentment comes in. You know that this connection was there, and it was great at some point. Your partner was able to give you what you deeply needed. They were there for you, with you, rather than working against you or withdrawing. So now your brain doesn't fucking understand why they do not offer the same level of connection and soulful love back that they once did. And therefore, you feel like they are withholding from you, refusing to be the person they once were, refusing to give you that lovey thing that you only just experienced with them. And when we expect that we deserve something that isn't being fulfilled, when we assess that it's a conscious choice that is meant to deprive us, that's resentment, y'all that is how we get resentful. And I mean, no big deal. Just one of the four horsemen of doomed relationships, right? Yeah. So our partner is stuck in the same cycle that we are, flipping through parts, trying to survive the pressures of the world, the past, and the present relationship triggers. Neither of us can really be ourselves. But both of us are externalizing the experience to kind of be the other person's choice. Probably because at the same time, we're also, on some level, punishing ourselves for being the problem. So we're mad at us for ruining it, we're mad at them for the same thing, but we can't get out of the hole that's been dug between us by our correspondingly reactive hearts. All we can do is stew in our negative feelings and unmet needs, growing apart as we struggle through our bad relationship behaviors, and feeling helpless to change a single thing. Or, you know, consider all of this vice versa. Maybe it explains why someone kept insisting that you were withholding love and connection, no matter how hard you goddamn tried or how intensively they begged. And I bet you haven't treated yourself kindly in the aftermath of that bewildering experience. Well, I hope that this little rundown has at least given you some clarity on some of these past shit shows of falling out of love and into resentment. We connect with the big-ass self. We experience acceptance And it feels like everything we've been lacking for our entire lifetimes coming true. Then we fall back into the small-s self when we need to prove who we are to our brains, to them, and to the whole world. At some point, we get triggered into our many small-s selves, our parts, showing up as protectors, exiles, and distractors as earthly and relational pressures start trickling in. Our survival programs and hidden wounds take over the relationship dynamic, and we get stuck in our own cycling patterns in our heads that we can't break free from. At the same time, our parts trigger our partner's parts, so they are reduced to adaptive responses as well. And at that point... No one can access their self-energy. Connection becomes fraught. Acceptance isn't genuine. The love feels lost. Which leads us to cycles of resentment as we mutually assess that the other party is withholding what we need from them. Without, of course, probably knowing what those needs even are or how to accept fulfillment of them— Because we've also been hiding these pains from our conscious selves. Holler back to last month. So at that point, the relationship is set on a pathway towards hell. Neither person is able to right the sinking ship alone. Both struggle to refine their capital S selves. And every time parts present their fugly little faces, just kidding, we need to show them respect and appreciation or they will destroy us. But anyways, when they show up, we lose any progress that we've made, and we set off the other person's parts in return. Alarm bells blaring, protective programs engaging, connection impossible. And next time we'll learn, that means the end of constructive communication as well. Locked in parts battles, we will shut each other down and turn our partners away for our own protection and a whole lot more. We'll talk about it. But I hope that this has helped clear up some of those unsolved love mysteries for ya. To uh, deepen the application in your own life, maybe consider when your relationships took a fraughtful turn. What pressures were weighing down on each partner? and setting off parts? When did they start to feel like family and your red flag started flying onto the field? When did your brain start assessing them as maybe actually dangerous and responding accordingly, even if you wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt and that love connection you once had? When did your parts get involved in relationships When did theirs and how did those parts wrought out the connection that had been built? You know, just some light weekend reflecting. Just kidding. It could be like a year or 10 of work here. But in the meantime, I will see you here in about two weeks to pick up with the rest of the bullet points from this conversation. We'll talk about how parts play dirty in relationship and how to resolve conflicts in parts-on-parts wars between partners, even ones that have created mutual, unescapable hellscapes in the past. If you're hankering for a lot more of this information, (sighs) holy shit, we got it for ya. Just hit the private stream at patreon.com slash traumatized motherfuckers for the hours-long episodes digging into the research and all of the details behind these bite-sized summary shows. Get the videos, reflective worksheets, discussion polls, and community submissions while you're there. And surprise, everyone is getting all of the resources that have been created this month, regardless of your subscription tier level, because I think it's a dense and crucial one, and I want to give it all away. Also, you might want to check out the new beginner tier that is available there, patreon.com slash traumatized motherfuckers. For those who are just starting to learn about CPTSD and maybe need an easy entry into the most needed information and the most needed private community chat channels, we've put them all together and made it easy for you. Check it out. And till we check out this conversation next time, when we try to make trauma-typical relationship disasters easier to understand and to come back from overall, hail your damn self, capital S. Hail your ability to connect authentically, if you can heal those pesky parts. We'll be working on it. And hail Archie. That's it. Cheers, y'all. Talk to you soon. Bye. We're not that hopeless. We're not as fucked as you think in shuffling moments. We can't do anything. We're fucking joke
1: is we're winning when you blink in shuffling moments. I'll see what's big, sorry.